Hello and welcome to Misbehave, the podcast where we explore human behavior in a business context. Season two of Misbehave is all about uncovering behavioral patterns which create success in life and business. We're joined by highly driven, accomplished individuals to assess their behavioral patterns and dive into how behaviors have influenced their journey. This episode features serial entrepreneur Alice Rowan Hall. Alice is the co-founder and creative director at Rowan Homes, a luxury homeware brand making concept-driven interior design accessible to a wide range of customers. Having exited her first business, Pink Boutique, after scaling it from £90 to £25 million in turnover, Alice has ambitious plans for Rowan Homes and is already disrupting this market, having scaled the business up to £10 million in just two years. Welcome, Alice. We're so excited to have you on the podcast and joining us. So we thought a good little intro, obviously we know about you, but it'd be good to just get a little bit of an insight and an overview about your business journey up to now. Yeah, so thank you so much for having me on. So I am Creative Director at Rowan Homes, an online furniture company now. Before that, I actually started a fashion business at the age of 23 um, when I was working as a teaching assistant started off just selling dresses on the side just to supplement my income and grew that business um, up to 70 staff and 25 million turnover. So have scaled that business. I exited um, just before the pandemic really hit and then me and my husband started up in online homeware. So it's been quite a journey. <laughs> quite a journey to say the least 10 million in two years is that right it's That's like with the new and, company yeah uh-huh. so we've scaled it as quickly as we possibly can and that's a goal going forward as well amazing so what we're going to do today and I know we've talked a little bit about this we are going to look at your behavioral map and how that comes into play how your dominant behaviors come into play with your journey up to now I think a good way to start it off is looking at your map as a whole. We'll dive into like some of your dominant patterns, but as a starting point, you've got what we would call a really spiky map. You are in good company. Me and Sarah have exactly <laughs> the same. And it's a lot of a lot of entrepreneurs sit with those spiky patterns because it gives you the extremes of what makes you so good at what you do. But there's obviously blind spots that come with that. Now we're gonna dig in with some of the the specifics around some of it. But well, I suppose the first question is, were you, I know we sat down and went through this, but have you almost been aware that you work in quite extreme ways in certain circumstances? And how's that worked for you? And where's, you know, where's some of the good stuff and some of the challenges maybe come from? So I think this is so interesting because when you said that you were going to do the behavioral map and then we're going to discuss it, I was like, I love this because I love anything (laughs) psychology based. And I love learning about behavioral stuff. And I think all of my life I've known that I worked in certain ways. But Mm. I think when you actually have it mapped out, you can appreciate that actually there are strengths in that. Uh, Whereas Mm. I think quite often you can focus on the weaknesses such as why can't I follow a process? Or like, (laughs) why can't I be consistent with stuff? And I think over time in business, I've learned to surround myself with people who probably profile maybe not completely opposite because that might be hard for us to work directly together, but at least profile a lot stronger on the things that I'm a bit weaker in. And I think that has been 
a total learning in my business journey. And I feel really fortunate now to have some people around me that were able to really compliment um, in terms of I bring my strengths and they bring theirs. And that's the only way that it works. And I think that without that, I wouldn't be successful in business because things wouldn't come well they would come to fruition but they wouldn't continue consistently and a lot of business is about that it's not just about being progressive it's about consistently doing things to deliver revenue so I think that that's what I've learned over time is that everybody has core strengths it's just how we play into them and the behavioral mapping even since I had it done the other day has enabled me to open up conversations with my team as well which I think is really it's really nice I think I mentioned to you, Laura, that what I love about it is it's there in black and white on paper and it gives you almost a narrative around, I know sometimes it's frustrating to work with me, like when I'm like this, but this is why. And I think it would be really empowering for teams as well, where like, say my line management had it done um, and then we could reference it and say, oh, yeah. I mean, not like use it as an excuse so much, but, no. you know, like have have a reasoning behind the way that you work. Absolutely. And it's a lot of the conversations me and Sarah have together. Like and we now that we know it and when you partner in a business and you have that, it's like sometimes I'll just go, listen, I know my initiation's off the scale today or I know I'm being a little bit internal in this. Yeah. And it's almost like you say, it's not a, it's not an excuse for bad behavior, but it's sometimes you, your patterns, when you've got dominances the way that you have or the way that we've got or a lot of other entrepreneurs have got, you know you're doing it and it's really difficult on certain days to move it. Like if you're moving through something you just, you're sat in the pattern and actually having that cross-reference and that reference point. I want to pick up on a little bit of something and then we'll do the individual patterns that we talked about the other day, but I think it's really important and t- takes on what you just said. Was We were talking about the, this almost vulnerability of leaders and people who run businesses to be open to the fact that they have weaknesses and actually, but that their biggest strengths cause the weaknesses. And then by surrounding yourself with people that almost counterbalance those, that's how you're successful. Yet we both know people who almost ignore that side of things. And that then can sabotage that business journey because you haven't got that offset that you talked about. Yeah, I think it's so important. And I've only really realized that in the past couple of years, being honest and being vulnerable because without you being vulnerable, you can't allow your team to be vulnerable. And if people are trying to be perfect in all ways firstly that's completely unachievable because everyone profiles has different skill sets you can't be brilliant at working in every way but also as a leader just the relief of not having to mask and pretend that you're really good at process driven driven things for me for example um, and being able to then champion someone else to say you are like you are so important in this team if I come up with this thing the concept could you take it through to like plan all that process out because you're amazing at doing that and that gives them like a really nice role and empowers them as well so yes I think being vulnerable and sharing your results is a really important step as a leader 
Yeah, absolutely. For sure. And uh, it's interesting, isn't it? Because often we'll talk about like the the magic happens when you bring different behavioral patterns together. Mm -hmm. And if you then look at skills, because the the skills and then there's your behaviors. And often with the behavioral stuff, it's much more difficult to have conversations about someone's behavior. Skills is a little bit easier. Often you can say to someone, well, you need to upskill in this, or we need to do some work shadowing on this, or you might need to do a course on something to upskill you. But behaviors are often the thing that people avoid having conversations about. However, using sort of a tool like this, we often, it almost gives you that common language. I think you, you mentioned there, Alice, that you can use it as a... So if it's less personal, it takes that real personal edge off. You're just saying like, these are the areas that really you excel in. And not only that, you perform amazing in. Therefore, why would we, why would we not give that that piece of work to you? Yeah. And I think, um, I mean, you, you referenced there about your process. Obviously on your map, we talk, you're very high in um, choices, which means that you'd be amazing at fastballs, <laughs> that... You love variety, you like flexibility, you don't want every day to be the same. Like that's an area where, you know, the process piece isn't natural for you. Now that doesn't mean you can't do it. Obviously you will when you have to, but it will be like swimming upstream a little yeah. bit um, with against a current. But when you're in your natural place, it's almost like you're swimming with the current and it's easier. Tell us a little bit about like you're, you're obviously, you're currently scaling a business really rapidly. Tell us a little bit about that journey and how you've took that concept because you've gone into homeware. How have you took that concept and made, made it a reality? Like what's that been like for you? Well, probably as you can see from my map, I never set out to set up and grow a business again. (laughs) (laughs) Like, because we, so I exited the last business before the pandemic and then we got locked in and we were meant to go traveling. So me and Andrew were like, our daughter was about to start school, but we knew we had the summer. So we're like, we have been locked in a warehouse for eight years basically got vitamin D deficiency. We need to like go out and, and see some of like some other stuff. Because I think when you're in your own business growing, it can be very kind of, you're in a bubble. So we said, right, this is probably going to be like our only chance. Let's go, let's travel. Um, so we booked like four different destinations and then COVID hit and all the travel got cancelled. So then me, Andrew and Olivia were in the house together, which <laughs> was interesting. <laughs> I'm imagining all these behavioural patterns together in you a know what? <laughs> And Olivia profiles very similarly to us. To you. So yeah. she's like the initiator and like she yeah. wants things her way. And then mm-hmm. you have to, as a parent, just kind of, go along with that but everything's dictated to you yeah Um, which I absolutely love that she has those core strengths I Mm -hmm. think she's going to be amazing in her vocation but I think that we were all getting a little bit as I think a lot of people were getting a bit up a height so we we said right how her school reopened because she was the school opened because it was early years so we said how can we physically get out of the house legally so we're like set up a business because you were still allowed to go into the office so we said right let's set up something so I had a home account and people have been asking me to do interior design so I'd started doing that I did a quick diploma 
shock. I did a quarter of it and then oh, went out and out of it, which I haven't openly said, but I was like, right, a scan yeah. through. I was yeah. like, right. It's an exclusive. <laughs> and so I started doing design work and naturally I started scaling it. And I was like, I'm not going to turn down clients. So I said, right, well, let's hire in designers. So that's the route we went down first. It was service-based industry for the first time right. and yeah. not e-com, not retail. Mm-hmm. And that was quite alien to me. And like you say, when you don't know the stuff, when you're profiling on the other side, it was a very process-driven mm-hmm. industry, but mapping out new processes with client sign-offs and all of this different stuff, lead time on individual products and installs and yeah. project plan coordinating. And naturally, we just pivoted back to e-com. So we realized rather than doing the individual designs for people, we could do it in a studio, set up the room, release it, and then people could buy into it. Buy so we'd get 50 units, yeah. 100 units behind certain things. So we came up with like that econ concept. So it's been just a transition and we've grown teams, pivoted teams, changed it. We actually set up two food businesses at the same time at the start just to justify. We thought, right, if we set up three businesses, one, will like work and <laughs> choices let's have lots of options <laughs> um, and also we wanted senior management in because we always like would work with senior management so going back yeah. to startup level where like say I'm overseeing all of the ad platforms and things it's not my core skill set I can direct but mm-hmm. going into the account every day as we see from my mapping yeah. as we'll discuss yeah is not consistency, is not my my core skill set. So we wanted those senior management team leaders. So in order to justify that, we got we set up three businesses and set it up kind of like an agency structure. But then for whatever reason, in food, the margins weren't strong enough and, and the pick and pack cost too much and stuff like that. So we ended up just saying, right, cut our losses on them and refocus the team all on the home side of things. So it's grown really nicely. Obviously, so I I had the fashion business with my mom, but Andrew was senior management there as well. So we have scaled a business to 70 staff before. So we know what we're doing to a point. (laughs) And then we'll learn it after that. But... Well, I think we felt quite comfortable on the scaling journey that we've been on. So we're currently at 40 staff. We do have some different roles from what we had before, but as a whole, yeah. the structure of the business is comparable. It's just different product and bigger and more expensive. And then the next phase is we are going into bricks and mortar retail, which is outside Very of my exciting. comfort zone because I've mm-hmm. done that before. We haven't done it. But yeah. we're just throwing ourselves into that and, and bringing in the relevant skill sets as well. So just bringing in the experience to advise yeah. us and learning from those people. That really plays into the the change piece with yeah. you. I mean, Andrew's similar, but your your level of difference and the appetite for change. And I mean, you just you illustrated it really lovely when you were talking about the three businesses. Like, well, we'll just do three businesses and, you know, one will work. And it's almost just like an acceptance for change and an acceptance that 
not everything will work. We'll just give it a go. And equally with, you know, with retail, let's go into it. We, we know because you're an experienced businesswoman, we know what we've got to put around it, but we're all right. Like we've got a good appetite for risk. And it's interesting because you'd naturally think that all entrepreneurs profile in that way for change, but they don't, you know, that often that's where, that's where the interesting thing comes in around people's scale journeys. Mm -hmm. Often people can scale really quickly because of the appetite for risk or people scale really quickly because of investment, but then there's less of a risk because there's an investment piece there. So it's obviously, you know, I know a big thing for you with Pink Boutique was the fact that there was no investment in that business. You know, you, other than you, really, from 90 quid, you created this 25 million pound business. And that really shines through in what your change and your appetite for risk and doing things differently and just giving things a go. I was just going to say gamification, I think, is an interesting one. And I think I'm very motivated by that side of things. So when I was younger, I played quite a lot of strategy computer games. And I think it's like, obviously it is serious, but in my head, it's kind of a point score. It's keeping all of the different departments going. It's keeping the people happy. And like all of that comes back to these, you know, like running cities or building hospitals or whatever it is. And the the challenge of that. And I, I realized the other day that I feel like being in business is basically just a flow of challenges. It's just problem solving. It's just lots of problem solving in a big chain. And like on any one day, you might have five or 20 and problems might not necessarily always be negative. So it's what are we going to sell next? You know, that's a lovely (laughs) challenge problem. Yeah. If, if something's, we think something's going to slow down soon, what are we going to bring in? It could go through to HR things. How are we going to resource this? We've got a skill gap or it could be something as literal as the water's <laughs> yeah. gone off. So it's, you, you're constantly, and I think that's what's very, on a change level, it's very engaging mm-hmm. for the brain. I think I need to have that constant problem solving you do the stimulation of newness and then I think what I do is well Andrew and I do is kind of delegate the consistent kind of core repetitive processes as we go so you almost take them on yourself figure it out and then you delegate it and then you take the next thing on and delegate it so you can keep moving through the change curve and stimulating that newness piece for you. But then you'll have people in your team that are more sameness driven. They like more routine. They like more stability. They can then take those pieces. But what you're intrinsically doing there is stimulating everybody's motivations at the same time while running a business. And I think what's interesting on that is that although I was wondering how our team would profile, because I think that they're used to change. So there's Mm -hmm. a certain amount of that in this business where even people that like the process, it's almost as long as you've got a framework, you layer a bit of change on the top. So you're keeping as much as you can steady and then you're layering directional changes or small changes but never changing loads of stuff at once because I've recognized that in my past where you start changing a lot of directions that's when panic ensues yeah yeah but it's about keeping as much stability as possible while testing these new changes 100 percent. 
And I think in our world, if you look at the map, that's that sits where evolution sits. It's where you've got change, but not just change for change's sake. It's where you keep that. It's it's linked to improvement. You've obviously got a big piece of difference in you, which means you really love to be the driver of change and you have a big appetite for change. But putting that kind of business strategy head on whilst you're mm-hmm. doing it. So, you know, it's really interesting looking at your combinations, Alice. You've got goal focus. You just talked there about being like, you know, a big piece of your job is around like solving problems. But when you're goal focused, you have an eye on the goal. That's a big dominance for you. And if we couple that with high initiation, means you have a real bias for action. So you've always got kind of one eye on the big vision and the goal and where you're heading to. And that means that you will do that at pace. So that problem solving, you will see things in solutions rather yeah. than like not being able to solve, not being able to deal with a problem. You'll definitely have that mindset around what's the solution for this? How do we get to the goal? How do we move it forward? And that, you know, that's a, such a big strength for a leader in a business to have. And obviously having people in the business that maybe are the people that will point out the problems before be they problem happen. Focused, yeah, be yeah. more problem, problem focused. It's really interesting. I mean, one of the things I know Laura and I were chatting about earlier was this, um, your dominancy in internal, which is that source of reference being yourself. And you kind of come into conclusions on decisions yourself before maybe you then go and sort of sense check them with other people in the business. And I think it'd be interesting for us to talk about that pattern, particularly because it's softened a little bit by the fact that you've got such a people piece in you. Yeah. Motivated by people and the impact on people. And we talked about that, but that almost like initial, is this a good idea? comes from you first and foremost yeah I think some really interesting things there so maybe in solution goals focused and not challenge focused I have to be careful with that when I'm working with other people that are more challenged like problem focused (laughs) because I can tend to because I self-reference, my argument is because I think this is the right thing to do. And then when people yeah. come up with challenges, you can internalize that to be more of like an attack on your idea. And mm-hmm. then so you get defensive. And and I think I've really had to work on that. I still think that I pro- the way I profile, it can be quite hard for me to work with people who are really, really problem-focused. I find yeah. that can tend to kind of be like magnets that are repelling because Mm -hmm. they can't deal with my optimism and I can't (laughs) deal with their pessimism. So I have to almost get challenge focus into the business, but in a way that we can both communicate together. Because if we just, if we come up with the direction we want to go in and then it's right, well, this might happen. This is a problem. This is a problem. I can get a bit drained yeah. Um, so it's really trying to progress my skill set in that area. And then, yeah, in terms of kind of pitching in with my internal reference, I think one of the great the- ways that the team's structured now is they kind of look to me because my job is creative director for direction. And yeah. I think the team have uh, kind of really observed how teams work and how people look for a final answer from someone and how that's actually quite important that people can come up collaboratively with something, but they often want somebody to say, go with this one or go with that one. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And my 
core focus, I think across about the past five years has been stepping out of situations to let other people lead has been a really core focus and active questioning. And I think I really have to lean into that because I can tend to, because I've got this internal validation, be like, we should do this (laughs) instead of what do you think we should do? And people don't tend to have ownership over their projects, their actions. If they're just told what to do, it's really important that people come up with stuff themselves. And quite often they have such amazing ideas. So I really have to bite my tongue, I think, (laughs) a lot, which isn't completely natural, um, to just allow things to flourish. So some of the ways that I'm doing that is actually not attending certain meetings and allowing my managers to be the leader in that situation. Because what I find is that people will step back to let me lead if I'm there. Mm -hmm. And I I want them to, um, like, progress and, like, um, develop their skills and also the other team members to look to them as a leader as well. So... I'm very, very conscious. Um, I don't know if that's something to do with my profiling, but I'm very honest and very conscious of like my behaviours. It's so to do with your profile, but you know what it is? What you just described is the exact piece that we, it's that, what happens with your behavioural patterns is they're the subconscious stuff. They're the stuff that we just do really naturally. So you're natural. If you weren't thinking consciously about it, you're natural would just be to share your ideas, to share what you think. It's probably very natural for you to direct a team. What you've learned to do, which is really what we coach people on, is actually understand where that's appropriate. So where that direction is needed and you lean into that strength that you've got and actually where it maybe stifles stuff or almost like maybe pulls other people's progression back and you've deliberately really consciously like step back from it. It's like that thing you and I talked about where I said, we've got another client that's probably similar to you and that. And she doesn't find giving feedback natural. So she had to build it and she, in consciously into a process. And I talked to you about this where she's diarizes every week to give feedback because so what she's doing there is she's just playing to her natural behaviors, but consciously building things in that enable her to be a more balanced leader. So it's exactly, you know, what we would look to do. And I think that's interesting because our profile is strong on affiliation kind of motivation, I think it is, where I like to do what's best for the people, whether that's the end customer or the team member or just what's intrinsically good as a business rather than just stacking them high and selling them cheap. Like I almost maybe give praise I, I don't know what too often is, but I give a lot of praise mm-hmm. where almost maybe the praise does not then have the impact. So it, yeah. it's quite interesting. I think I'm very affiliation based. So I will yeah. really, really try and pull and call out other people's core strengths. Yeah. And we were chatting previously around what are the downsides of that. Mm-hmm. So for every core strength, there are downsides on mm-hmm. there where yeah. that praise might not have impact, but it might be harder to have difficult conversations as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that cozy culture thing that we were talking about. That, yes, yeah, so it's a balance. Yeah, it's and balance. that affiliation pattern, Alice, I, I'm highly strong. Like that's my one yeah. of my strongest patterns. I'm motivated by the team and the impact on the people who we work with. And 
And it's, it can be, you can have some blind spots in that where, you know, and, and it's great because obviously we're, we're super aware of this, but also sometimes Laurel point that out, her motivation is achievement. So her, her piece is more motivated by actually getting to, you know, the achievement level, the goal, whatever we've set out. And mine's more about helping the people get to where they want to, where mm-hmm. they want to go. It's still achievement to a degree, but it's by, about the people. But sometimes that can mean that I focus too much on the people and I have to be very conscious to how hierarchy the business on business decisions mm-hmm. um, and hierarchy the right decision, not always just for the people, but for the business or the sustainability of a client or, yeah. you know, yeah. how we're working with someone in, you have to step out of that. And I think it's just about being, you know, the more aware you are, the more you can then flip into co- your conscious mind and make conscious decisions. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's where two leaders, because actually that's where you're high in affiliation, Andrew's high in achievement. So you're actually right. similar to us in that regard, that actually that then balance between two leaders in the business can, if you guys then come together on your conversations or what you're doing with the team, you'll find you just reach a natural balance point because you'll be looking at it from slightly different angles that will create a more well-rounded solution. So Yeah, that is so interesting because he's like, so in terms of competitiveness, mm-hmm. he's a very competitive person in sport yeah. and things. He will yeah. way overexert himself to achieve something. And I say I'm not really competitive and everyone says you are competitive because otherwise you wouldn't be like going for what you're going for. But I'm not externally competitive. So it's not like I'm competing with someone else. I'm kind of competing for the high score internally it's the goal uh, for you yours is the goal yeah it's the goal yeah. I remember you described that to me when we had coffee around the te- take ro- take Rowan's turnover for example the 10 millions it's you don't see the money the monetary f- turnover as an achievement but it is like a tick you almost like yeah. hit a score it's a goal that was a goal and then there'll be another goal whereas Andrew may see that more as it's an achievement for the business so and that's where it's so lovely because you're actually rowing rowing <laughs> rowing 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 towards the same direction but you're just looking at it from slightly different angles it's where it's just so fascinating but, and I think you need mm-hmm. that and I can't imagine what it's like to be a sole um trader you know mm-hmm. running your own business and not having that other skill set to flip to yeah. and I think it's interesting like sometimes I feel like the points on the map conflict a bit you know where you're like I really want to get to this goal, but almost I'm so strong on affiliation and it's really just trying to figure out like how do we get there and understanding that other people, I think my main learning from this map has been I'm so over-indexed and what you tend to do is like it's hard to understand how people think when the index really heavily on the other side. Absolutely. And so I think my real key target for the rest of this year is understanding, getting inside the head of like people who profile on the other side and how they would like to be managed and how we can get the most out of each other because you can tend to like just not get it. You know, I can sit Mm -hmm. in conversations and, even personally 
Um, if someone is very problem focused and just completely drained and all the, all the way through the conversation, I'm trying to G them up or be like, oh, look on the bright side. The cheerleader, yeah. Accepting that someone is problem focused and that's okay. I don't have to bring them around to being like more positively focused. Yeah. That is something that I want to like, make peace with yeah and often people say challenge focused is negative it's not negative to talk about problems if it's not done in a negative way yeah but in it we often talk about that like negativity is bad behavior you know if you're being super negative bringing a bad mm -hmm. energy that's bad behavior but what we're what you know what Often we'll say with people who are challenge focused, like it's fantastic to bring, the, to highlight the problems, to highlight what might go wrong, to reference what's gone wrong in the past so we don't yeah. repeat. But you've got to present that in a in a positive manner so that people can mm -hmm. then take it on board and move forward with it. So it's really, it's really interesting that you say that because it's about often with, with either side, when you're influencing either side, it's acknowledging the other person's point of view and not being dismissive of it just because they're thinking in a way that doesn't necessarily resonate with you. They might be using language that isn't the kind of language you'd like to hear. Um, and it's it's the acknowledgement, isn't it, Laura? It's, yeah, it's and it's the, it's the flex flex because that's really interesting because it's when, it's how we say it leaders, right? If you can get this insight about you, that's more than you had before. Where the magic really happens is when the team can also have insight about themselves and you. Because yes. then what happens is you both flex as opposed to with your insight. Now you're consciously flexing your behaviors towards the team, for example, or customers or whoever the other people are. If they don't have insight into themselves, they can't flex towards you. So it will feel like you're always the one doing it. When yeah. you give them all the insight as well, that's when the two can come together. So that challenge focused person can nudge a little bit more towards goal and your goal can nudge a little bit more a challenge and you meet in the middle and it becomes so much easier to influence from that standpoint. So when I was talking to you, um, I had a few amazing revelations from this behavioral map. And one was that not only is it important to understand how to manage people, but it's important for those people to understand how to work yeah. with their managers. And I think in management training, it's interesting, isn't it? When you become a manager, you typically go on management training and you get taught how to manage the people in your team. But your team never get a session on you. how it's best to work yeah, with their manager. Absolutely. Yeah, and yeah. to manage you absolutely. effectively, yeah. So looking at each other's core traits and say and behaviors and saying, well, actually, I understand that if it's more than a page. Alice is probably yeah. going to switch off. So the best yeah. way, so firstly, that saves them time, but they know that, okay, this is how I should present the information. Or if it's longer than this, it's going to, you know, the meeting's longer than this, then it's not going to, or the real value I can add is I can add the process. And then yeah. because I know, say, Alice has that more conceptual internal validation, she can come up with, I can ask her for the headline yeah. idea and yeah. understanding that they can ask their manager for something and their manager will be very comfortable with that. So I think this could be a key change going forward that it shouldn't just be the management training for the managers. 
it should be for the people in the team as well. And that's why we insist, like usually our absolute preference is to start at the top, but to profile the whole business first and then start at the top and work through. The majority of the work that we do with clients is is on both sides of the camp because yeah. it's about everybody flexing and taking ownership of their insight. And then what can they do to flex that in different situations, to influence, to drive up better results, to have more win-win interactions, mm-hmm. and really to be able to, to drive up the overall performance of the business and individual roles and individual teams. And that can you, you can't do that by just educating the leaders and the managers yeah. in the business. Um, so, uh, you know, you've, you've kind of hit the nail on the head. This is part of the, the work that we do with clients yeah. is around, actually, let's help everybody in order for them, like from a professional development point of view, and this stuff applies outside of work. It's fantastic mm-hmm. to understand this stuff outside of a work context too. Um, you know, we sit, we sit on men, many a nights where we'll sit and chat about, about how this impacts yeah. us personally and where our behaviors, and sometimes your behaviors are different in different contexts, but you know, it, it is really fascinating from a, just a self-development and awareness point of view. Yeah. Yeah. And like, do you know when you do the behavioral mapping, do you ever bring teams together into like one room and be like, discuss the core skill sets and be like, so like, correct me if I'm wrong, but you would be really comfortable with people asking you that, or you need process. So like, can we all agree around the table (laughs) that like, we were like, we try and do this when it's, you know what I mean? Or this person can lead on that project or... That's exactly what we do. So usually we'll pull up the team map, we'll give everybody insight into each other. And then when we give the learning, we give it in context. So if I was describing the big picture pattern as an example, we'd describe the pattern and I'd be like, I'd be looking at you, I'd be looking at Andrew and I'd be saying, so Alice and Andrew are both 100% big picture. So that means don't give them the deal. They'll be amazing at coming up with a strategy. If you want the what, where, when, how... You're going to have to, they'll give you a bit of an overview, then you're going to have to go away and create that. So give the context of the people. It's not just about theory-based learning. It's actually about learning about each other. Yeah, I absolutely love it. And the Mm -hmm. other gem that I got from it was when you said, Laura, that when you're not performing in your strong zone for each thing, you're much more prone to burn out. (laughs) And I'm so fascinated with this because sometimes I feel like, you get to the end of the week and like you are feeling pretty burnt out like with Andrew last night he was like oh I'm absolutely knackered and I said after having learned from you guys (laughs) um, you've been doing loads of um you've been doing loads of work permit and health and safety assessments for the new school all of the paperwork which is really detailed Totally against his dominant process and policy. Mm -hmm. And it was at that point where all of a sudden you can understand why am I feeling totally knackered? Whereas Mm -hmm. if I am doing really top level creative direction all week, I am absolutely, you know, in my element. And of course, that comes naturally, it exerts less energy. Energy, absolutely. Whereas when you're doing the opposite, you really got to focus and it takes you so much brain power, but someone else in the team can whiz up a full process flow in like, you know, or a project plan and a full Gantt chart, literally, yeah, two seconds, because that's what they love. Yeah. So it's like, I just think this is so empowering for people to understand why they're motivated, why they're tired, 
like all of these different things in their yeah. career. When you can work in line with it, that's that's when the magic happens, as we say. Oh my God, I could talk about this uh, all day long. For me I'm conscious of like time. time. So thank you so, so much. That's been amazing. And I know we're gonna um we're gonna put a little link to your LinkedIn profile in the show notes and people can reach out to you and connect with you and yeah, learn more about all of the wonderful things that you're doing, all the recruitment that you're doing, all of the growth that's happening in the business. Thank you so much for having me on, ladies. I feel like we could do like a series. I agree. (laughs) We'll just start a new podcast. (laughs) Yeah. And and talk more at length about how workplaces can embrace it. I'm just so excited. I really want to get this in place because it's not that expensive either. So I just think it's such a good thing to do. So I'm hoping um, that we can get this in place in our organization. It's been a really enlightening process. So thank you so much for doing it with me. And um, I look forward to listening to your other guests as well. Thank Thank you, you, Alice. Thanks. What an amazing conversation. So let's wrap up with a few takeaways from today's episode and conversation with Alice. So the first one really is what we talked about right at the very beginning of the episode. And a question we get asked a lot when we do work within businesses is, is it better to have a spiky map or a more balanced one? And the answer really comes from it, when you have more balanced, it's easier to flex. It's either easier to influence because you're closer to the middle When someone has a more spiky map, which is what we talked about with Alice's map, with mine and Sarah's maps, with lots of entrepreneurs, is you will have huge strengths that really drive certain things in your business. But the key is to surround yourself with people who have the opposite behavioral patterns to you that can really sort of round those out and help you look at things from all different angles. The second piece that we looked at was around the change piece. Now, obviously, Alice has a high difference in her, which means that she's just really driven by change and innovation and new things. And she talked a lot around how she's counterbalanced that in her business and about the the consciousness to if you're a leader who's high difference, the likelihood is your team are not all high difference. There'll be more evolution. You may even have some people who are more sameness and don't don't love change. It's to stop and make sure that the foundations are in place before you move on to the next change. And to make sure that there's some consistency there in what you're doing within the business so that the change doesn't feel so rapid or so disruptive. Last of all, and one of um, Alice's gems was this consideration that traditional management training, you know, gives managers tools to be able to manage their team. And while that's useful, actually, when you can give both managers and team members insight into each other and their behaviours and how actually to influence not just manager to team member, but also team member to manager or team member to team member, that actually that well-rounded insight in the business and the ability for every individual to flex to each other is where the real magic happens. Thank you for listening to the Misbehave podcast and a big thank you to Alice for joining us. Hit subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. 